so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable.
uh, this week, staying at the YMCA of the Rockies uh, with our families, so we'll have a great time of uh, vacation. When, I, when we were uh, on our missions trip a couple weeks ago here in Colorado, I was telling our missions team, you know, I'm going to be back here in a couple weeks and maybe I'll be floating a little bit, uh, but then, of course, I was convicted uh, by the reading jacket in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not boast. But anyway, yeah, I was boasting, I'll admit it. I was boasting uh, during that time, you know, thinking they're going to go on vacation, and uh, someone in the van who will remain name, who will remain nameless, said, "You know, Adam, you really like the mountains, don't you?" And I said, "Oh yeah, my plan is whenever I retire, I'm gonna have Mary Lane just take me up there, drop me off in the mountains. I'm gonna grow a long beard with long hair, and she can bring the grandkids by, and I'll come by the side of the road and wave to them once a year, and I'll go back in the mountains. I want to be a legend of Rocky Mountain National Park." That person and you all might might be able to piece it together. Said, "Well, if you're not careful, she's going to drop you off now. So pray for me. Pray for me that she's not going to just drop me off uh, up in the mountains uh, this week. Uh, that she'll bring me back with her. Uh, we'll see what happens. If you got a Bible this morning? Turn to Acts chapter 10. We're walking through this book together as a church family. We've got a few more weeks left. We'll take us right up to the end of July. So about another month." In this book, I wish we had time. This is probably, I was thinking about it this week. If we were to go verse by verse through Acts, which would be a great thing to do, and maybe one day we'll do it, that would take probably about a year and a half, close to two years. Um, there's so much there. Um, we just uh, don't have time. I want to move into some other things, but uh, we're getting the highlights through the, the book of Acts. We've seen that Jesus, the main point of the book of Acts, is in Acts 1. The entire theme, the key to the entire book of Acts is when Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. That's Matthew 28, but in Acts 1-8, he says, you will be my witnesses. And where? Where, where did Jesus tell them to go first? Jerusalem, right? Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we've talked about how different things have been happening. We've been seeing people get saved. We've been seeing big things happen in the church. Well, in the last couple of weeks... We've begun to see that um, that persecution entering the picture. Not everyone is happy about the gospel message and the church spreading. And so we saw persecution. We saw the murder of Stephen, Stephen the first martyr, and him being stung. We saw that last week. And we saw how really what's happening here in Acts when Jesus launched the church out into this mission to go and to be his representatives to the ends of the earth, his witnesses, that there's a cosmic battle going on here, a battle between good versus evil that it's kind of behind the scenes. We don't see it mentioned a lot here, but as we understand the big picture of Scripture, we see the spread of the gospel, we see the spread of the church, but now Satan is trying to counteract that. Satan is going to try to block that. He's going to do whatever it takes necessary to stop the of the gospel, and the tactic he uses was persecution. We saw that, but what happened? We saw that there in Acts chapter 8, that Saul went and uh, he ravaged the church. He ramped it up. He's throwing men and women into children, and it said that they had to be scattered throughout all the regions. The church in Jerusalem were scattered through all the regions of Judea and Samaria. So even when Satan was trying to do something evil and wrong, God was using that to accomplish something good. The spread of the gospel, the spread of the church, and we see that. We saw also when uh, Peter and John went into the temple to worship, they went into the temple, and the lame man there uh, was asking for alms, he was begging for money, and Peter and John told him to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus, and he walked. And thousands of people came to know Christ. But then the religious leaders tried to put it out. They tried to stamp it out. In fact, they said, you can continue to preach, but don't preach in the name of Jesus. And so another counterattack to the spread of the gospel that, uh, that Satan tried to use was watered-down doctrine. You can preach, but not in the name of Jesus. So Satan's been trying to stomp out the movement and the gospel of the church. Then we see in Acts chapter 9, we don't have time to walk through this. Many of you may know the story. We see the conversion of Saul. And who was Saul? Saul was one of the religious. 
execution of Stephen. He ravaged the church. Well, then, in Acts 9, Paul, on his road to Damascus, Jesus Christ appears to him. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And immediately Saul said, who are you, Lord? Now it's interesting. That when Jesus appeared to Saul, Saul, you can see that there in Acts chapter 9, verse 5. He says, who are you, Lord? He immediately recognizes Jesus for who he is. Jesus said, I am Jesus. I'm the one you are persecuting. He says, rise and enter the cities. Rise and enter the city of Damascus, and you'll be told what to do. And so he arrives there, and he's blinded by seeing Christ. And then Saul, end of chapter 9, here's a man persecuting the church, trying to stop out this, stomp out this Jesus movement. And all of a sudden, in the synagogues of Damascus, Saul is proclaiming Jesus. It says in Acts 9, verse 20, it says, Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the Son of God and in the synagogue of the saints. He is the Son of God. There's life change. So we see again here in Acts chapter 9 that when someone is exposed to Jesus and understands who Jesus really is, there is complete life change. There's a complete 180. And we see that in the life of Saul, who would eventually become who? Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary that's ever lived. We see that complete 180, and about that spiritual about face, there's repentance in his life, and he says, he is the Son of God, and it says there that all who heard him were amazed. And they said, is, not, is this not the man that wrecked havoc in Jerusalem? Isn't this the same guy that was ravaging the church, throwing men and women into prison? And they, it says here that they did not really trust who he was. And wouldn't you in that same position? I mean, come on. Right? We, we would probably be a little bit pessimistic about this life change for Saul. But Saul continues to preach, and many people did begun. And it says, verse 22, that Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And so Saul escapes the Damascus and returns to Jerusalem. Now, we arrive here in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is another key passage to Acts. In fact, Acts kind of is a little bit of a two-part book. The first part of the book that we've seen so far, Acts 1 through 9, is mostly the gospel dealings in Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, you'll be my witnesses. Well, so far, all we've seen with the spread of the gospel has been Jerusalem. We've seen a lot of big things happen in Jerusalem. But then we've seen that it goes down to uh, Judea and Samaria because of persecution. But now we're going to begin seeing a shift in the book of Acts. That is not all about the Jewish people in that region. That the gospel is meant to reach to the ends of the earth, as Jesus says, so we're going to see that. Well, here in Acts chapter 10, we see something new begin to enter the equation of the book of Acts. In the first part of Acts chapter 10, we don't have time to read this entire chapter. Maybe you'll have time later today to read it. But in the first part of Acts chapter 10, we're introduced to a man by the name of Cornelius. Now, not Yukon Cornelius and the, the children of the Rudolph Red Nose Reindeer. I was telling Isaac about this this week. He says, is that the guy who looked for gold and, and, and Rudolph's nose? not the same story. But here we are introduced to a guy by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius. Who was Cornelius? He was a Roman commander in the Roman Empire. Remember, just in the time of Jesus, during this time, that entire world was controlled by the Roman Empire. Where Cornelius was a Roman gentleman, and he was, he was a commander in the Roman Empire. He was an Italian gentleman. Okay? He's an Italian gentleman. And he was a godly man. It says here in Acts chapter 10, he was a godly man who feared the Lord. And you might say, well, what's the big deal of that? What's the big deal of all of this that we're about to see? Well, you remember last year when we went through a journey through redemptive history? You remember that? We started all the way in Genesis and we worked our way through. We didn't go through the entire Bible verse by verse, but we did the highlights of redemptive history. Well, in the Old Testament, when we see redemptive history, we see God working with primary, primarily one 
have a barbecue, right? Have a barbecue, kill those animals, eat it. You're hungry and eat it. But now there's, there's, there's a conflict here. There's a conflict. Peter was a Jew. And Peter says he couldn't eat it because he had never eaten anything common or uncommon. Now, what does that mean? What is Peter's struggle here? Well, read all the way back in Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 11, God told his covenant people Israel they were not to eat certain animals. One such animal was a pig. Okay? I have a hard time with that. I like barbecue. I like bacon. I was not married to a Jew at that time. Alright? I love, I love bacon. I was uh, eating at first watch down there in Prairie River this week. And a waitress told a friend of mine and, and myself that she doesn't eat bacon. And I asked her, are you an American? Like, what's wrong with you? I don't understand that. Well, God was telling Peter, go ahead and kill these animals. Have a barbecue. Eat these animals. And Peter says, well, basically because of Leviticus chapter 11, I'm not allowed to eat these animals. So now for Peter, who was a devout Jew, to be told by God to go ahead and eat these animals, it was confusing. Because God was telling him what God has made clean, do not call common. Now there's a deeper meaning that we're going to get into here in just a minute. So Peter was thinking this through. When the Holy Spirit, he's thinking this through, okay? This vision, the vision ends. And Peter begins thinking this through. What was the meaning behind that? Why would God tell me to eat animals that I'm not, all my life I haven't been allowed to eat because I'm a Jew? What is the meaning behind it? Well, as he's thinking that through, the Holy Spirit prompts him and tells him, there are three men looking for you. And go with them without asking any questions. Go without hesitation. So Peter does. He meets up with the men of Cornelius. They take him back to Caesarea where Cornelius was. And they meet Cornelius who's there expecting them. And this is what's interesting about Cornelius here. Look at verse 24 of chapter 10. Let's start diving into this. Verse 24, it says, And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. See, Cornelius knew Peter was going to come. He was going to share the gospel. And he gathered together his close relatives and his friends to hear what Peter had to say. Now, when we see that, we have to ask ourselves, who is it that I can bring to Jesus? Because consistently through the gospels, when anyone Jewish people. 
He says, it's not right for me even as a Jew to be in this room with you, to associate with you. But then all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off for Peter here in Acts chapter 10. He remembers and he says, God has shown me, though, that I should not call any person common or unclean. So let's go back to that vision at the beginning of Acts chapter 10. The sheep drops from heaven. There's all kinds of animals. God tells Peter to eat, and Peter says, no, I'm not supposed to eat anything clean, or I'm not supposed to eat anything unclean. I'm not supposed to eat anything common. And God tells him, don't call anything I've made clean or uncommon. So what was the point of that vision? It wasn't about food. It was about people. And God is telling Peter, salvation is for people who are not Jews. It wasn't about food. It was about people. God was telling people, uh, Peter, the gospel, the life change that Jesus brings is for all people regardless of race. Now let's see what Peter then preaches to these people who are not church can participate 
in the mission of God, that God in his sovereignty has ordained it, that we get to participate in his mission through prayer. We talked about that the church, Jesus even said in Acts chapter 1, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. As a church, we're not just sitting back and waiting for either to for either for us to die or for Jesus to come back. No, we're given a mission to accomplish. We've talked about over and over again. We've been kind of making a list of the benefits of the church. And folks, one of the greatest benefits of the church, and it is not for one people group. It is for all people. Now you say, Adam, is this really a big deal for us today? Absolutely, this is a big deal. For one, you and I are sitting here because of this today. I don't know if we have anyone here that has Jewish heritage? I don't think so. Maybe we do. Maybe you do have some Jewish heritage. But the vast majority of us, I'd say 95% of us in here, if not 100, are of Gentile descent. We are not Jewish people. So for the fact that God did not show partiality, as Peter says here, the fact that salvation is for the Gentiles, what does that mean? That's for you and I. And we're sitting here today. And as we will begin to see, as we continue on for the next month or so here in the book of Acts, the gospel is going to spread, not just from the Middle East there in Jerusalem, but it's going to spread into Asia. It's going to spread into Europe. And if you understand this world history, that as the spread of the gospel spreads into Europe, the churches spread throughout uh, Europe. We have the Reformation. And then we have the pilgrims leave Europe religious freedom and come to the United States. Folks, folks, Acts chapter 10 has everything to do with you and I. This is our roots. This is our origin. The reality that we have salvation as non-Jews. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Now, there's a second application here. There is, there can be this idea, and I don't think anyone would verbalize it. I don't believe that. I don't think anyone would be ignorant enough
church and one of the reasons why the American church is in decline is because we have forgotten that mission of Acts chapter 1-8. That we are to be his representatives, his witnesses to all the world. He told his disciples, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Spread the gospel. Push back darkness. Because then we see the gospel. It changes lives. We see that over and over again. And that's why you see our banners up here. That's why we at here at Leland, we say, we need to share Jesus. We need to disciple believers. But it's more than us, just us here. We need to reach the nations. Because God, as Peter said here, verse 34, he said, Truly I understand that God says, Thank you. 